I want to do a quick review. Uh, we started in September of 2016 in the book of Exodus, and we started our journey all the way back. I asked the question, why are we in Egypt? And we surveyed back to how God's people uh, got there and all of where Genesis uh, handed us off uh, those years ago and, and uh, what had happened there. And you move through these different sermons as we move through the text. You have uh, the call of Moses and his reluctance. Who am I, Lord? How, how can you use me? And then all of these things, the great I am coming to meet with Moses in the burning bush, his struggle to believe that God could use him, and then his return to Egypt, Israel's kind of rejection of Moses. Who do you think you are to represent us? Who, who, who gave you the right? And God coming, I am who I am. Remember that? Broken people in a mercy-filled mosaic. Power and providence as the, uh, uh, the plagues begin to come. And you see blood in the water, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then two sermons on the Passover when the angel of death moved through and those who had the blood painted over the doorpost of their houses were protected by that blood from the destroyer who took the life of the firstborn, then set free and the plunder of Egypt and they move into the desert only to be trapped against the Red Sea and despair for their lives. And then the Lord delivered them once again. And he buried the Pharaoh and his mighty army, the most uh, strong superpower of the world. He buried them in water. It became their grave. And Moses sang a song of redemption. And then immediately on the heels of that, Israel began to do what was so natural for every sinner. Grumble. Complain. And we move from there the hard way, faith and triumph, Grandpa Jethro's conversion and counsel. Remember, he came, and then we arrived at the mountain of the Lord. We're still at the mountain of the Lord. Can you believe that? That was sermon number 29. And then we've moved through then the Ten Commandments, and then all of the other case law, and all of the instructions about the tabernacle and the priest's clothes, and then the golden calf. Everything ground to a halt at that point first set of commandments shattered by Moses and then grace and mercy compassion 3,000 died but the rest were given grace and then the Lord the Lord a God of mercy and grace compassion abounding in steadfast love all of these things this has been a journey hasn't it for those of you who missed some of these sermons, they're all online. You can catch up on the things that you've missed. If you've been sick, they're all there. You can search by series. It's really easy to find those. That leads us to sermon number 48, uh, the concluding sermon of this entire exposition. I titled, God with us. God with us. And we've already sung songs that celebrate this, the echo of Exodus in our day as we see Jesus Christ. That is where we're going to land today, at the cross. We're going to land at the, the focal point of all of this book, re, reoccurring every single week. We have seen him, haven't we? We've, we've anticipated his arrival. All of Exodus points us to Jesus. And we'll see that again today. Some of you are considering the number of verses that we're planning to cover today, and you're wondering if maybe you should have put the crock pot on low instead of high. And here's what I'm going to do today. I've worked and worked and worked to try to figure out how to do this. Um, in fact, I actually read one night, I tried to read all of these verses, and it took me 30 minutes just to read them. Uh, there's so many verses, and I usually only preach about 40 minutes. So that would give me 10 minutes to preach, 30 minutes of reading, after which 7 minutes, I, I would lose most of you. Okay, so I'm not even going to read through all these verses. What we are going to do is spend a lot of time in 35 and a lot of time in chapter 40. The verses in between there, by and large, most of them are, are re repeated for us. They are the, uh, the verses that we covered in detail up close when God commanded 
And now as they build the tabernacle in detail, they're all repeated. So it says they built them according to God's commandment. This, then this, then this, and this. So uh, we've gone through those verses up close. I'm going to let that exposition stand and kind of serve to move us over those chapters to the end. And uh, I think that way we can stay together and uh, you won't glaze over after we just repeat those over and over. So um, let me pray and then we'll dive into chapter 35 to, to kick things off. Lord, thank you for your word and for your grace, for your gospel, for the joy of being yours. Uh, we pray now that you would lead us and guide us into these verses. Open our eyes to see Christ, the focal point of all of this. We pray that we would see you more clearly, that, that your glory would shine, and that we would be changed, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 35, verse 1 through 36, verse 7. And then I put in chapter 38, 21 to 31 as well. We're going to do all of this because they all kind of relate together. So lots of reading, buckle in. We're just going to kind of move through this. Verse 1, chapter 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days... Shall wor a work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So he begins with a, a rehearsal once again of the, the priority of Sabbath, by which all of these commandments find their practice, their routine. So everything he's about to command has a reoccurring experience for the life of Israel in their six days of labor and their one day of solemn rest unto the Lord. Okay? Now, verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring to the Lord uh, the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze blue and purple and scarlet, yarns and fine twined linens, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its hooks and frames, bars and pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of presence, the lampstand also for light with its utensils and its lamps, the oil for light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrance uh, incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle and... Uh, the, the altar of burnt offering with its grated, uh, grating of bronze and its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for, the ministering, for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. Everyone who possessed acacia wood uh, of any use in the work brought it. Every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had uh, spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them 
to use their skill, spun goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And all the men and the women of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a, you might underline this, as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, so not just to do, but to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen uh, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Chapter 36, verse 1. Bezazel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezazel and Aholiab and every craftsman in, whom, in whose mind the Lord had put skill and everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. They received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work in the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now, how much did they bring? Well, we learned that in chapter 38. This is kind of a record. There's a lot of shekels and numbers here, but those are important for us, so let's see this. Oh, by the way, the first section I titled Lavish Generosity. In this case, Lavish Generosity. Flip over to chapter 38, verse 21. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and Fine twine linen. I love that phrase. It's great. Next time we hit that, you guys are on, okay? All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation was recorded uh, was uh, 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A beka a head, that is, a half a shekel, by the she shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward, 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of a veil. Uh, a hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent, a base. And... Of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating uh, for it, and all the utensils of the altar, the bases around the court and the bases of the gate of the court, and all the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs around the court. Okay, just so we're clear, 
lots of detail. But now we know. Okay? These verses all kind of weave together in this theme of the generosity of Israel. These people are called by the Lord through the voice of Moses to bring a free will offering to him. That's an interesting thing. So God commands it. He says, I, I'm, I'm command, you tell the people this, I'm going to command a free will offering. Well, how does that work? How do you command a free will offering? Well, basically you say this. If you are stirred in your heart to give in this way, do so. See that? See how that works? If you're not, then don't. Interesting. This feels New Testament-like, doesn't it? One of the reasons is because we're dealing with the same God. A free will offering. Whoever is of a generous heart. What is the Lord saying matters in this equation? To the Pharisees of Jesus' day, what is the Lord communicating through Moses? What is at the focal point of this offering? And really every offering. It's the heart. It's the heart. Where is your heart? If you're going to bring a gift, if you're going to bring your skill, then do it from the heart, from a generous heart. And so their response is incredible. They all depart. And here's the thing. Moses gives this proclamation, and we're talking thousands and thousands of people begin to kind of work their way back to their tents. What is going to happen? I know what Moses would like to happen, but he can't make it happen. You can't force this. This is God's work. Who shapes the heart of men? Like of kings, like, like streams of water. God does this. This is the work of God. Everyone whose heart stirred him. That's a fascinating thing to consider. What happens when my heart stirs me? Who's behind it? Who is stirring in me? Who, whose spirit moved him? All who were of a willing heart. This is cool. God stirs in the hearts of his people and they respond in lavish generosity. They come with God-given treasure. They come back from their tents. and they're, I mean, it's like they're bringing all this stuff. Remember how they got it. They loaded up on their way out of Egypt. All they had to do was ask, and they were given all of this plunder of Egypt. Who broke the power of Egypt? God did. Who commanded that they ask for these things on their way out? God did. Who stirred in the hearts of the Egyptians that they would so freely just give the, the, the treasure of Egypt to the slaves on their way out? God did. This is God's ownership. This is God's possession. This is God's resource. But he delights to stir in the hearts of his people a free will offering. So they bring it joyfully, freely. They come. If you play sports, do you work hard to develop those skills? Yeah, you do. Do you take the credit for those skills, even skills that you work hard to develop? You don't. That's right. Good job, Peyton. I like shaking that head. That's good. Why? Because they're God-given skills. They're God-given talents. They are given for a purpose, and that is to glorify God. So here comes all of these people who have these tremendous abilities and skills, and they do so. They bring these things to bear, to serve, to work, and they do it with glad hearts overflowing. We're talking lots of time, tedious work. So much so that the, the, the craftsmen who were working were like, will you stop piling gold? I'm trying to work here. I mean, give me some room, people. Like, I have way more than we need. Enough with the acacia wood, okay? Look at the stack. We only need poles here, okay? We, we've got more acacia wood than we could ever use. Please stop bringing more generous gifts. That's just like God. 
That's just like God. There's an occasion in the New Testament where something very similar happened. In the, in the, in the context of extreme poverty and extreme persecution, God stirred in the hearts of his people and they gave so much that their request had to go out. Please stop. Please, please stop. Don't give anymore. Wow. Glad-hearted generosity. I, I want to be like that. I, I mean, we want to be that kind of people. The people who, from the heart, not just because we're compelled to or because when the, the offering bag goes by, oh, man, drop it in. No, man, from the heart. Lord, you have lavished your love. You have given so much. I delight to give. It's a, it's a joy to give, to participate with you. Or worship team on Thursday night. They come in, right? It's been a hard week, battling sickness, battling schedules. Who's going to cover the kids while I come to worship team, this, that, and the other? How are they going to come? How are they going to serve? How are they going to put in that three hours every week to lead us before the throne together to sing God's praise? It's glad-hearted generosity. Do you remember the last time they brought gold? Remember how that went? They brought specifically these gold earrings that they had looted from the Egyptians, and, and they brought them to Aaron, remember? And Aaron shaped them into the golden calf. So, just I mean, if you, if you have that in your mind, you're coming now with more gold, and you're coming and you're laying it down, and the echo of that sin might have been there. And the reality of God's forgiveness meets that. Do you see the deeper joy that you have now? The greater excitement to give? Not only does he deserve all that I have, but he forgave me. I mishandled his resources before. Not this time. No, sir. I give from the heart, freely, lavishly, joyfully. This is a concrete, tangible expression of true repentance from the hearts of the people. And it's just a, an expression of grateful worship to the Lord. There are a lot of churches that have offering drop boxes or they just do give online. And I, I'm not downing on that at all. We don't do that, but we don't do that on purpose. We believe that the passing of these offering bags is a part of worship. Every time that we give generously to the Lord and His work, out of His abundance, we preach a sermon to our own heart. We say, you matter more. I am happy to be a part of your work, Lord, and I'm, I'm stoked to be a part of your work with these people. We're, we're in this together. I used to think as a kid, it was just sort of strange that you have these bags that go back and forth, and a lot of churches have kind of done away with that. I, I think it's right to, to sing, to pass the bag, to say, Lord, we love you. We participate together in this. Whatever the Lord stirs in your heart to do. Not under compulsion. The command from the Lord through the psalmist is to serve the Lord with gladness. Not groaning, not grumbling, not complaining, not reluctantly, right? But from a glad-hearted place, I serve you, Lord. And to give glad-heartedly. Whoever sows sparingly, Paul says, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each, month, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Do you hear the echo? Of Exodus, this is a free will offering, Paul says. We're talking free, free will offering. You, you decide before the Lord what He's stirred in your heart to give. I'm not, I'm not up here going to demand that you give this amount or that amount. That, that's completely out of bounds. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, though. Why? Or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. 
We give out of the overflow of love for God, gratitude for Him. We give back to Him a portion of what He's so lavished upon us. And here's the thing. The amount doesn't determine the heart. The heart determines the amount. The, the widow who gave just her last two, two pennies, right? She gave from the heart and she gave all that she had. The Lord was pleased. You can't buy God off. You, you can't buy God's grace. You give out of joy for his grace. Never put the cart in front of the horse. This is just a good reminder for us. It's a great example of how God works. God loves to stir in his, in his people's hearts and move them to be generous, to love one another, to, to lavish with their skills, their gifts, their time, their talents, to care for one another and to participate together in the building of his kingdom. I don't preach a lot on giving, but man, when verses show up, it's there, it's on, right? It's for all of us. And it's good. It's for his glory from the heart, from the heart. So the second section I titled Meticulous Obedience. Meticulous Obedience. And this is the section of Scripture that is repeated, that we've already been through in previous chapters up close in detail, moving through expositions. And so for the sake of time this morning, I just want to survey across and make a, a few observations of this repetition. The, I mean, every detail to the T is repeated as they make each piece. This was made according to the Lord's command. This, this, and this, and this, and all the way through. One thought here is to ask the question, how important is it to obey exactly as the Lord has commanded? This has a little context, doesn't it? Well, Moses went up on the mountain. You know, we know the Lord likes sacrifices. We've kind of seen that. And so, tell you what. Lord, we're going to make an image. Even though you said not to, eh, you'll probably get what we're going for. We're going to make an image. We're going to make it a cow, right? And gold. And we're going to bow before it. And then, and then we're going to worship you through it. And, yeah, I mean, you haven't given us a lot of instruction about this, that, or the other. But, but and you said not to do this. But we're, we think this makes sense. It doesn't fly with the Lord. It was sin. It was wrong. It was unacceptable. So God delights in the heart, but not just loosely. Not just, I feel like doing this. So I'm going to do this. I feel like this today. I'm just going to live from the heart. That, that's not what God is saying. Follow your heart. He's saying, live in obedience, in joyful surrender and submission to my commandments from the heart. See, it's not either or. It's a both and. From your heart, obey me. Obey me. As the Lord had commanded Moses, this occurs, let's see, verse 1, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 times this phrase shows up in one chapter. Lest we think this is not a big deal. When God gives a command, he intends that it be carried out precisely and the level of precision in his commands about how things are to be made and their designs, and their intricacies, and their, their color, and the shape, and the this, and the that, and the order. It's all in there. God is a God of detail. And he expects us to be a people who care about the details of our obedience. There's no white lie. There's no white lie to God. It's either true, or it's false. You see what I mean? There's no just... Eh, it's sort of gray, I mean, in between. Obey or disobey. It's ours to do everything we can precisely to follow his commandments. Hmm. This is summed up at the very end of chapter 39 in these verses. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. And at this point, we just want to cheer. Should we try it? Let's try it, okay? Behold, they had done it. Yes. 
How had they done it? As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. This is a win. We've been longing for a win for so long. How long have we been at the mountain? How many times stiff-necked, rebels, failing, here we obeyed. Praise the Lord. We walked it out. Hmm. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. They live in a rightful regard, a right trembling before the awe of the one who has every right to command us to obey. The fear of the Lord, to hold him in regard and to love to obey his commandments from the heart. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, how important it is in our day that this echo in our minds. Following Jesus is not just some loose, mamby-pamby feeling that you get one day and maybe not the other. It's not just ethereal. It's not just floaty. Following Jesus and loving him is tenacious obedience. Breathing the air of gospel grace. Lord, I love you. I love you. I want to obey you. Hand in hand. Then it says, Moses blessed them. Moses blessed them. This is awesome. If you're Israel, okay, I mean, pretty much you grumble. Moses gets angry. Uh, you, you make a golden calf. Moses gets angry. He's frustrated. He's like, these people are stiff-necked. They're just rebels. And, then, and now you've obeyed the Lord from the heart and you've worked hard this this would have taken some some days to build i mean this was a big undertaking now moses gives a blessing moses speaks for god he, he's the mediator so in a sense you feel god's blessing coming through this man moses the leader now god's glorious presence this is the the capstone this is the arrival point of the book of Exodus. It's not the end of the story because there's more, but it is the end of our journey in the book of Exodus. Let's just read these verses uh, 1 through uh, 38. I broke these into three sections just so we know how the flow goes. The first section is reviewing God's commands. Just one more time. And you ask the question, why is there another review of God's commands? And here's the answer. Because the last time he was giving these in detail, we made a golden calf. We interrupted the flow. What were we thinking? Okay, so we're going to go back. We're going to review. Even though the work is finished, he's coming back to tell us again, this is how it's going to be. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first, day of the, of the, the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstands and set up its lamps. You shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then... You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water and put on Aaron uh, the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So, there's the commands. This is what we're to do. This is 
common ground that we've covered before, but it's now, now it's going to happen. Okay, we're, we're here. We don't have a golden calf to interrupt the flow. Do this now. Okay. So, reviewing Moses' obedience. Verse 16. This Moses did. According to all the, commandment, uh, all the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. This is huge. This is when the ark becomes the ark of the covenant or the ark of the testimony. When the the second set of Ten Commandments inscribed by the finger of the Lord are set inside the ark. Verse 20, put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony. See how it changed? As the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of the meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. We've seen a theme. He put, up, uh, put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and feet. When they went into the tent of meeting, when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so he erected the court, uh, oh, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. He finished the work. It's built. The tabernacle is complete. The priests are prepared. There's just one thing left. There's one really important question. Will he come? Will he come? Lord, if you don't go up with us, I don't want to go. Go up with us. Be with us. Be at the center of the camp. Don't, don't, don't go away. Be far from us. If you don't go with us, we're doomed. This would have been that moment where all of Israel would have held their breath. I th the work is done. What do we do now? Wait. And pray. And trust. Let's see. God's glorious indwelling. His glorious presence comes and indwells. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's incredible. Th this, this was the first time the people had experienced at the center of their camp God taking up residence with them. His presence, His glory in His tent. They all had tents. Now God had a tent at the center of the camp. There He is. They could see it. Incredible. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. 
For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. That's the last word of Exodus. Amazing. God comes. He is who he said he is. He is faithful to his promise. I, yes, I, I will be with you and I will go with you. I will go with you. They obeyed. They listened to his voice. They, they worked hard. They were from the heart participating generously in this work. And they experienced the blessing of his presence. You just imagine what this would have been like at night. We saw this as we looked through the tabernacle and some of those things, the candlestick, but also just the, the presence of God at night. Look at that. That's one of my favorite artist renderings of this moment. It's there. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, we might be in the wilderness, but we're not alone. We're not alone. We saw what he did to the Egyptians. We're safe. He's with us. Hmm. Sovereign grace and settled faithfulness. God's good, lavish love set on his people. Why? Why? Why Israel? Go to Deuteronomy as Moses reviews and equips the generation 38 years later that would take on the conquest to enter the promised land. He is preaching the stories, retelling God's work. And this is amazing perspective to have in mind. Listen to what he says. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession to own you as treasure out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth he chose you Israel he chose you Christian out of all of the people on the earth he chose you why not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people. When God called Abram, there was no Israel, right? There was no people. God's not saying, wow, let's pick the most impressive. Maybe the Egyptians would be the most impressive people. I'll make them my people. They're the strongest, the most numerous. No. Well, then why? Hmm. Here's the answer. It is because the Lord loves you. This is New Testament theology, friends, in the Old Testament. This is election. This is predestination. God's sovereign choice. This is the answer. The, the answer is, why did he choose to save me? The answer is, the Lord loves you. His covenant love was set upon you not because you were worthy, not because you deserved it, not because you did something to earn it, because he chose to love you. Incredible. He's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. He's redeemed you from the house of slavery. Christian, it's true of you. He's brought you out with a mighty hand. He has redeemed you from the slavery of sin. From the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. From the former slave master that we knew, Satan himself. Know therefore, Christian, that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and, keeps com and, and keep his commandments. You see this? How it, how it flows? He keeps all of these things, love equals obedience. They keep his commandments. How does he keep that? He keeps it to a thousand generations. 
and he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Wow. There is comfort and there is for some warning in the greatness of God's glory. This is a sum up of Moses, of the revealing of God's glory that he experienced when he passed by and proclaimed his name. I think this is an incredible retelling of this moment. One just minor note to, to see here, verse 35, Moses couldn't go in the tent. It would be as if a builder who built a house for you, Fred, uh, built the house and then said, uh, I'm keeping a key. You guys can move in and everything, but I, I, I can come in wherever I want. That, that's not how it works, is it? You build the house, you hand the keys. In a sense, Moses is, is like, okay, Lord, your tent. And he can't go in. He can't go in. The Lord in his grace allowed that the priests would function in those ways. And only once a year could a priest go into the most holy place. And that with great fear and trembling. To sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Points to that person who died on the cross. No vacancy. God with us. The tent is occupied. So, two years down, friends, 38 to go. We're, we're in the wilderness. Okay, Levit- Leviticus just picks up verse 1, chapter 1, right where this leaves off. We're not going to do Leviticus yet. We'll come back in a little while and hit Leviticus. But they don't know this, but they have 38 years of wandering to go. But they have the Lord with them. He's with them. That makes all the difference. Similarly, we might find ourselves in a wilderness this morning. But we're not alone. You're never alone. Through Jesus Christ, we have God's presence. Think of this. This is how I want to draw us to the great I Am's presence today with us. Think of how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. All things were brought into being by him. And apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. Then he says this, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, Christ, Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled. He pitched his tent among us. Friends, we've seen his glory. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is Exodus language in the New Testament, drawing these connections, the tabernacling of Christ who came, who came near. He came to be with us. Who are we? We have seen his glory. Have we not seen the glory of God? in the face of Jesus as we've moved through Exodus again and again and again. That is one of the things I have loved the most. I just was running the other night thinking back through this journey. I have learned so much as we've journeyed through this. And one of the things that has just struck me again and again is how much Jesus I see in Exodus. Praise God for the gift of Scripture that has a focal point to draw us again and again to the hope of what He's given us. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age before He was taken up into heaven. There is tremendous comfort in those words. There are great trials, wilderness moments that we experience. Now, we're together still, aren't we? We're we're God's people. We're called by him out of darkness to to live in his light, to, to share this journey together. We're not all that different, are we? Somewhat stiff necked at times. We battle sin. We grumble. 
we rebel, we find grace in the sacrifice that all their sacrifices pointed to. But the greatest joy that I have as I close Exodus is this. God is with us. We are not alone. He is with us. Let's pray. Oh, great Father, sovereign, almighty God, we give praise to you for your grand story of redemption. You are the author. This is your writing. This is your work. This is your plan of old. And here we are, part of that. We gather under the banner of our Savior Jesus Christ. We gather through his finished work, the life that he lived without sin, the, the death that he died to pay for our sin, and the victory over the tomb to disarm and destroy death, that through faith we might live forever with you, to bring us back to you. Father, it's so good to be your people. We thank you for choosing us, not because of our merit or worth or, or renown, but, but that you would choose us because of your love and set that love upon us forever. We pray that you would use us, Lord. Make us a happy-hearted, obedient people, lavishly generous and obedient to serve and give and, and support and love and participate fully in the life of your kingdom, both in this church and all around the world. We give praise to you for the glory that we've seen as we've journeyed these number of weeks together. Thank you for that. Thank you for your help. Spirit of God, thank you for your work in us as you dwell in us to open our eyes to the truth and to point out the glory of Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.